This podcast is a Pardes Bible Raps co-production, written and performed by Bible Raps. For more online learning, visit www.elmad.pardes.org. So, we're live here at the he- of the Hip Hop and Educator Retreat, and that squeaking thing is my child. Um, and we are here with the one, the only Rabbi Adam, and the one, the only Rabbi Yaffa Epstein. Make some Torah love and noise! Rabbi Yaffa, what's the Torah jump off? Jump off, jump off, what's the Torah jump off? Hi everybody, I'm excited to be here with you all. Um, I'm here from the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies in Jerusalem. I'm going to do a quick blurb about what Pardes is. Pardes is a non-denominational co-ed Beit Midrash uh, Torah learning institution based in Jerusalem, and now we program worldwide. Yeah, I get my study on me and my caruta. Yeah, we get our buddy on a library. This is quite contrary. If you want peace and quiet, go and join our monastery. I, um, we have lots of different programs. We have a year program, a summer program, an educator's program. I know there's a bunch of educators here, so I'd love to talk with you more about what that is and what the programs we have. Informal, formal, uh, day school. We have a three-week summer program in July, two-week summer program in August. Lots of exciting, fun things. And one of the things that we have are lots of podcasts on the Pardes online learning portal, which is called El Mad. And one of those awesome podcasts is with these two very talented uh, rappers and rabbis. Um, but what we actually do at Pardes is we learn classic Jewish texts, and that's what we're going to do now for a little bit. We're going to get to look at one of the most um, famous, I'd say, Mishnayot, and one of the most famous Mishnas, which is the um, central core um, code of oral law that we have, and we're going to talk a little bit about why we begin the whole conversation with this Mishnah. Um, we happen to be right now in a very interesting time in the calendar. We just finished the holiday of Purim. We're about to be in the holiday of Passover. And I always think at this time of year that it's really the time period of storytelling. Like more than any other time of the year, right, we just tell this like crazy Purim story, which like really makes not a lot of sense. God's name doesn't appear in the book. And it's just like really it's a story of political intrigue. And the rabbis, the oral tradition is really interested in saying, no, no. Every, like, every two verses, you can see God. Every two verses, you can see the divine. And don't read this story as simply a story of political intrigue, but read into it more spirituality, more holiness, more. And that, I think, is, like, an interesting uh, thing for us to think about. And then, of course, like, we're about to go into the Seder, which is this whole night where the main, the main obligation is to tell the story of the Exodus. So, Really, this is, the, uh, this is the month of storytelling. We go from one holiday of storytelling to the next. So I think it's super cool and appropriate that you guys are doing this retreat now all about, you know, oral tradition and what it means to tell a story and how you tell it and how you craft words and the importance of the words that you choose. Um, so I think it's really cool. And um, I wanted to start us off with the first Mishnah of Tractate Avot. And Tractate Avot of the Mishnah, right, so the Mishnah gets codified around the year 220 by Judah the Prince. And one of the really interesting things that gets codified is sort of like the mission statements. Tell me what the like what the like rapper terminology of mission statement would be. I think I think everybody as a rapper, you have your platform to be introduced into the you know 
I wouldn't call it the mainstream rap world, but like if you get a chance to go on Hot 97 and go with Flex, yeah, you know what I mean, or your opportunity to spit your your one verse that. If yeah. you had one yeah. verse to spit that right. represents okay, gotcha. you, everybody has that one right, that's right, right, kind of right. like locked away right. that represents them. That's your, right, right, your right, mission right. statement. Okay, awesome. So like that would be what Tractate vote is, right? The rabbi's getting to say, getting to, I'm going to try this, I'm so uncool, sorry. Getting to spit. They're what, not. One of the, <laughs> trust me. <laughs> getting to spit their one Thing they want you to take away. Like this is I'm Rebbe Akiva. This is my thing, right? I'm Hillel. This is the thing I want to say. So right before we have like um, all of these chapters about where each rabbi gets to do that and say their one thing, we have this Mishnah. This is sort of the introduction to that. Before you all get to say your one thing, comes this Mishnah, which sort of describes where on earth do they get this thing from? What's the history? What's the tradition? that they're, they're aligning themselves with. And so that's the, the opening Mishnah of this, like, compilation. We're about to look at it now. But, Jacob, go ahead. That was it. I was going to ask, is the first book of the Mishnah? No, which is actually interesting. It's a great question, Jacob. It's not the first book of the Mishnah, but it's the first Mishnah of this book, this section of the Mishnah, right? Basically, it's 1-1. One, one. It's Avot 1-1. One, one. So this, this tractate of Mishnah... Masachat Avot is about the mission statements of the rabbis, right? They're one line that they could say. So this is the first thing that introduces that. But the mission itself starts much earlier, like many tractates ago, with tractate brachot. But we can talk more about why that is and et cetera. Okay, so, you, so many of you are looking, now you can look at your phones. Many of you are looking at this. Okay, if not, you can share with me. Um, or you can share with the person next to you. Maybe I'm going to ask someone to read it just in English for us. Be brave. Okay, awesome, Moshe. Oh, look, it's, it's you. Look at that. Moshe's <laughs> reading about Moshe. Perfect. Name, there you go. I know my name pretty well. Perfect. I'm comfortable with nice, it. Nice, nice. I like it. Moshe received the Torah from Sinai and transmitted to Yehoshua, and Yehoshua to the elders, and the elders to the prophets. And the prophets transmitted it to the men of the great assembly. They said three things. Be deliberate in judgment, raise up many disciples, and make a fence for the Torah. Okay, excellent. Great. So there's a ton to unpack here. And we're really going to spend some time really de delving deep into this, right? It's intense, right? Okay, so tell me about the beginning. So Moshe, Moses receives the Torah from Sinai. What's, what's being said there? According to the Mishnah, this is, you don't have to make any claims yourselves. Just what do you think the Mishnah is saying? Like, he inherited, like, God's word, like, the, the, the principles. Okay, amazing. That, that immediately made me think of, you know, when we're talking about rappers and rabbis, <laughs> um, the you know Judaism and hip hop, the hip hop, if you will, elements and mm -hmm. principles that were handed down from the originators of what hip hop mm -hmm. stood for, mm -hmm. and for the elders and for those gatekeepers to try to you know tell society, tell their communities these basic principles and through these lyrics. And it's interesting, both in Judaism and hip hop, as generations go on and. You know, you tell one and another, one another. A lot of people don't, you know, they flip the story and they do it in their own way. Sometimes, you know, it's good to be creative and go off and use your own originality within the principles. But you still got to remember who hand, you know, and that this is a tradition, tradition that's being yeah. handed down and passed along. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I just see the relatability within hip hop and, and Judaism mm -hmm. in that regard. Awesome, awesome, yeah. That was beautifully said. Thank you, sir. Righteous Jewish. Um, I think like I 
as well with the rabbinical Judaism and like a lot of like MCs or rappers. For many of us, uh, with that tradition aspect, it's like we become even rappers and MCs when we truly realize and actualize it. Similar to I think the way a lot of rabbis found out they were rabbis. It's like mm. rabbis above, like older than them or have more experience. Or just like with us MCs, older artists and older MCs, they just start calling us. It kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, you are an MC. But I don't even call my MC. And then, you know, but until like, dude's like, oh, how long have you been MCing? Or, or you're a dope MC. And I'm like, whoa, I've never even, you know, for right, me, nice. that was in his relaxation. Nice. I was 19. It was an event we did in, in Jerusalem. I left you out there. The DJ invited us. It was great. We were in Hasidic garb. It's a whole other story in itself. <laughs> we rocked the house and like a few different times at this place in Jerusalem. It's called Syrup Pub. Yeah. Um, they just do dope hip hop. But um, so from then on, slowly. <laughs> but I feel like so rabbis relate. Like you know, rabbis twenty twenty one. I meet I meet young rabbis who even ask me when they're still there. Like oh, I'm not a rub. I'm not a rub. They're really humble about it. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. with new MCs, new rappers, we have that stage too. Where it's like, am I even it? But you are it. It's just like nice. Nice. It's a really interesting idea. I mean, two, two things I'm hearing already from Mr. Eric and big... Mr. Big, e. Mr. E. Sorry, sorry. Mr. E. So, sorry, sorry. Guys. So in the classroom, it's Mr. E. To those who don't know me, I'm a mystery. Soon I shall reveal my story. Pay attention so you don't miss the story. Nice. Make some Torah loving noise! Thank you. So um, interesting to me is like on the one hand we we understand that tradition is really necessary and I want to unpack that with you guys a little bit. Why do we feel that we have to hold on to those pieces of tradition? What does it give us when we feel that way? And also, what Big J is saying to us, I think, is interesting about the the humility of what it means to carry a tradition and and how do we call ourselves part of that tradition? How do we step up and step into that tradition? Do we, do other people see us first? Like, did Joshua even know that he was going to receive this thing? Like, when Moshe says, oh, here, I'm going to give it to you, was Joshua ready for it? Was he terrified? Like, and then when Joshua passes it on to the elders, the elders, right, to the, um, to the, to the prophets, like, this idea, like, who's in charge there? Is it the receiver or is it the giver, right? Now, I have something to give to you, and you have to sort of step up into that responsibility, right? Amazing. Yeah, Jacob, go ahead. Yeah, well, it starts with Moshe, Kibel, Torah, Messinai. Uh, like the word, even in modern Hebrew, people say, Sinai, Nafal, like, like Baal Shuvahs, they say, like, Sinai fell on my head. Uh, like, I've heard people say that it's like, uh, it's like all of a sudden, all of the laws of the Torah, they fell on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I felt it. And so I feel like when people get bitten by a bug of either Judaism or hip hop or whatever it is that they choose, uh, it's almost like a wave something falling on top of them, like a new energy that they never felt before. And um, and people who don't acknowledge the past and just kind of try to mm-hmm. make a revolution to, like, ignore the past, people don't generally like them. <laughs> um, I feel like uh, if you acknowledge the past or the... Like, people who create something new and pay homage mm-hmm. to where they got their source material from, they're, they're usually, in my opinion, the ones who are the most accepted, mm-hmm. the most... Uh, revolutionary and the people who are like I hate the past I hate everyone it's yeah. like the angry young man who nobody really listens to interesting right so there's something about acknowledging where I come from that gives me credibility and it m- means I'm like talking from a context you can't just come in if, if Moshe was like oh this is a brand new thing it came from nowhere or if Joshua tried to do that or, but that I actually have to acknowledge like I'm coming within a context I can relate to that better, right? There's something about that. I want to ask you guys, just to, I want to point out like two other interesting things I think are happening here in this text. One is, 
they pass it on to the men of the great assembly. Now, this is like one of my favorite things in, in Judaism, okay? And really, it's about modern Israel today. Um, the men of the great assembly. Does anybody know who they are? Who were the men of the great assembly? Mordechai. Yes, good. Ezra was there, right? There is a Midrash and Mordechai was in there. Excellent, amazing. Right, so these are actually when they come back to Israel after they've lost the temple and they've been exiled to Babylonia, when they come back to the land of Israel with the movement called Shivat Zion, they set up a legislative body. And they're called the men of the great assembly. And why are they called the men of the great assembly? How many is a normal Supreme Court in Israel? In, in Judaism, sorry. How many, what's a normal Supreme Court number? 70 plus 1, right? 71, okay? The Anshe Knesset Hagdolah, the men of the Great Assembly, according to rabbinic tradition, had 120 members, so almost twice as much. So they were called the men of the Great Assembly, not a normal Sanhedrin, not a normal Supreme Court, but actually almost twice as many. Today, in modern Israel, is it, what's, their, what's the legislative body's name? The Knesset. How many members? 120. Why? Because of this. Isn't that interesting? I love that fact. I think it's so cool that, like, they're like, oh, the last major legislative body that the Jewish people had officially was the men of the Great Assembly. They were 120. So when we build our new legislative body, there's 120. That's just a sidebar that I happen to love. It's like a, a minyan from 12 tribes each. Oh, <laughs> nice. Oh, yeah. wow. Love that. Very Beautiful. Perspective. When you make a minyan of people, it's like you have nine mm. that can agree, the one that doesn't. You know, like, you can't shut them up. You need to be like, why don't you agree but develop it <laughs> nice. so that in case we're wrong, you can save us. Right. We have uh, 10, but then we multiply that by each tribe. Nice. That's beautiful. Cool. That's great. Like beautiful. Makes, beautiful. Very logical. That you know? also beautiful. reminds me of the movie uh, 12 Angry Men. Right? Yeah. You got yep. the one guy. One from each tribe, right? Well, that's a little different. I'm just just in that black and white movie. I don't know this movie. Black, no, black and one, white movie. Are you guys familiar with it? Jury. 12 Angry Men? The Jerry? So there's 12 people, they're on a jury, they're not from tribes, they're not Jewish people, no. but it's, they're on a, essentially on a jury, and everybody is essentially convinced that this guy did the murder, except for one person. Everybody wants to go home already, they're like, come on, you gotta be so difficult, like, why, why are you stuck in your ways? He did it, everything is there. But something was there that he was onto it, and he stayed in his way, and everyone at first was annoyed with him, and one by one he starts going through it and giving more facts and one by one, it goes from 11 to 1 to 2 to 10. Then from 3 to 9. And, you know, five, like he start, it, it starts shifting. And people start actually delving more into it and agreeing with him. And by the end of it, the tide is flipped, mm -hmm. like 11 to 1. And they're trying to get, you know, it's completely shifted. Mm -hmm. And it's, just, it's a wild movie on this topic. If Was it guilty? Um... You'll never know. This is the jury's decision, but how they chose to, to flip it, and they ended up, at the very end, they flipped it the entirely other way, from 1 to 11, from the other because way. Because you show having a just, lot of judges essentially helps, like, it just from being groupthink and let it, or, or like an echo chamber necessarily. Like if you have 120 judges, and, you know, that's a big division. They can right. really, really work down and break down. And, like, you know, there's things in the Torah that say, this is punishable by death, this is punishable by this. So that makes you think, all right, this is the one guy that bangs a gavel. That's terrifying. But if you have 120 people, that means 120 perspectives that are literally 
tearing apart every little bit of detail. Right, Lift right. to 120. <laughs> I think it's interesting because really what you're saying is like it's the power of the individual and how important the individual yeah. is. But, yeah. but the individual is not alone, right? With Moshe's right. point, like you, you, your own voice is so important, but you have to be able to convince your community. You have to be within right, the community. Right, you have to be able to still persuade. I think the individual idea needs to be put out there. And then it's up to others how they want to interpret it, but it's also right. an invi- individual has to be persuasive in how they say things. Right. And and along the way, people are also very motive, um, easily swayed by what others do. Others do. Right. So I feel like if you have an idea and you have one person who has influenced themselves to then side with you, now you're going to have other people to then start. The, the tides will start shifting, like the bandwagon. Right. And people will start right. questioning. How about the women? Any anyone want to add anything about this? We haven't heard your voices yet. Just want to make space for that. I've I've been calling Chayat all weekend. <laughs> Her vocals are a little tired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks, Jay. Go ahead. No, I mean, just just my my perspective. Speak on myself. You know, I agree. Strength is in numbers, and I'm a lover of Torah. and I'm a very proud Jew, proud Hebrew. I love Jewish history. That's like my favorite subject, right? Books and books on Jewish history. Um, as me personally, though, like in my identification, though, like the one train of Anshik Nesikadolo is like a spiritual Torah holy court. And as a Jew, like I don't feel Jewishly represented whatsoever by the Knesset and or yeah. anybody in it. You know, and, and people do, they do. So like I don't see them operating under Torah with their actions. Right. And, and that's like you know deeper discussion, but like yeah, I want I don't want, I want to stay away from my I just wanted this, I thought that that one fact was cool just in terms of the building of the but I don't I want to stay a little bit away from that if that's possible I totally hear you yeah the number so we've done I totally I don't want to shut you down at all but like I know it's amazing right but but I just want to say I just want to say with me Israeli but I'm sorry I shouldn't have uh, yeah yeah go ahead um, I'm just noticing now how it goes from individual who's the holder of tradition to a, a body, a group of people who are the holder, back to an individual, back to a group. And I thought that's also really interesting. You know, Moses, Moses to Joshua, but Joshua gives it over to the elders. That's already a group, maybe 70. Um, and then the elders to the prophets, those come one at a time. They're individuals, and the prophets give them back to the Anshaykhness at Hagdola. It's like back yeah. to yeah. the group. And I think there's something really cool there of like an individual holding on to the culture, um, passing on to the group, passing on to an individual, passing it back to the group. Yeah, that, very that same thing, we're talking rappers and rabbis, the same thing happens in, in hip hop, or at least in my life directly. Um, I, uh, I'm the coordinator of a uh, hip hop called the Hip Hop Institute uh, for the Monmouth County Boys and Girls Club down in Asbury Park. I work with the youth on that, and I feel as an individual, you know, I'm there, I go in a group setting, most of the music that comes out is from group, and all the shows are group, but it's my job as essentially the teach, to educate them on it, you know, how this is going to happen, essentially. And then it, mm-hmm. it, it's interesting, all the, the, the different dynamics that goes in, even to a song, different um, advice and fine-tuning for people next to you, but it funnels back into that individual voice yep. recording it. And then mm-hmm. you go to a show and it's people. It's like, mm-hmm. it's crazy, but that's how life yeah. is. You, yeah. you, you, you take these thoughts yourself and then it's just, it's wild. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> so it's interesting because I want us to notice the last, because the, I, I think it ties right into that, the, la, the last line of what they ask them to know mm-hmm. 
is exactly this in a way, right? Have a lot of students, have a group, but also be a deliberate judge. So there's the individual and make a fence. Like, how do I navigate protecting and expanding at the same time? But Anat, you want to say something? Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking about, like, in passing on a tradition, like, who is included in it and who is excluded. Yeah. And, like, when the person who's passing, like, it's their responsibility to make students, for example, mm -hmm. like, they're also deciding, oh, who's appropriate to actually be, like, a gatekeeper of this tradition? Right. And, and they're literally making fences. Right. So, like, this is not just fences about the labs, it's also, like, fences of, like, who's in and who's out. Yes. Um, and it's something that I think a lot as, like, a yeshiva student who spends, like, all her days studying text by men. Yeah. Um, so, like, Good. also, like, we see the music, too, like, Mm -hmm. that there's just like a lot like there's exclusion um, of like women and people with different identities so just yeah. to like yeah. notice that so important really great great point like when you build a fence right very famous Robert Frost comment right when you build a wall you have to know who you're walling in and who you're walling out right there's something just about, but it's interesting to me because have a lot of students to me feels extremely uh, inclusive mm -hmm. like have a many many students mm -hmm means like when you have many students, you're gonna have tons of perspectives, right? As you were saying, you're definitely gonna have people who think differently than you or differently than each other. And it's interesting specifically in oral tradition, right? If you're thinking about how do I preserve an oral tradition, the more mouths I have talking about something, the more likely it is that that's gonna be maintained. So I actually think it's interesting, on the one hand, we choose our students and we wanna make sure that they sort of maintain, but if I have a lot of them, by definition, right? What I mean is like right now at this moment, every single one of us is experiencing something different. And we're all, even though we're hearing the exact same thing supposedly, we're not actually hearing the same thing, right? And we're, cause we're not sitting in the same room. You can't all see me in the same way. I can't see you all in the same way. We, right? You don't know, some of you know me, some of you don't know me, some, right? So even as I'm saying these words, you are experiencing them and I'm experiencing them differently. And we all walked out right now and said, what did Yafa say for the 20 seconds that she's talking, right? You would all say, oh, she said this, she said, no, that's not what she said, right? By definition, even though I think, well, I'm teaching, right? But the experience of the student is not the same. And so what's amazing that happens when you have an oral culture specifically is it will never be uniform. So it's, I hear what you're saying. For sure we have to notice who's named here and also the rest of the book who gets to have a mission statement and who doesn't even have a mission statement, right? It's really important. So I don't want to minimize that. I want to make sure we're, we're saying that out loud and to think about, by definition, when we have an oral culture, how do more voices get included and different experiences of those, of those voices get included, right? So I think this fence that we're talking about, building a fence for, for the Torah, um, actually is really crucial uh, instruction for the one... Um, giving a Torah, especially since it's an in an oral tradition. That if I'm saying something, I have to be so clear of what it is that I'm saying and how far um, it can be taken and what I'm not saying. Like, where, where uh, is it a distortion? Um, where has it gone over the line, distorting what I'm saying? If you hear this and go, you know, into the other room and say something else, I have to make it really clear of what's you know, the Torah and how far the fence around it is, you know, how far uh, can you stretch my words before they break and they become 
not connected to right. the tradition right. become your words that are not connected. They say it takes a village, lead a boy to a man. Practice acceptance where the light dog pretend. Eradicate hate, kick it, kick lights to Thank you for listening to this Pardes Bible Raps co-production, written and performed by Bible Raps. For more online learning, visit www.elmad.pardes.org.